Hey, I got a question for you. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? That can bring, that question, especially in this season, can bring with it a host of emotions. For a difficult question, what do you think about this or that or them? Uh, you can be froze into a position of paralysis by analysis. And for others, for more easy questions, for example, like what do you think is the best ice cream known to man? Well, that's an easy answer. All sane and logical people would, would obviously say chocolate fudge brownie. That's the only correct answer. And by the way, if you're at home and you disagree with me right now, I will pray for you till you can come to see the light. What do you think about this? Through John chapter 7, we see four different camps, four different responses, four camps that are beginning to form very clearly as people come to realize who Jesus is, what people are saying about Jesus, and what Jesus is saying about Himself. Their response to what do they think about Jesus is placing them in these four camps that apply today as well. So as we finish up John chapter 7 today, I pray that you will consider as we walk through each one of these, which camp you find yourself in. And if you're one of those that find yourself in, in any camp, but the camp that recognizes Jesus as the Christ worthy of our worship, that's the third camp we're going to look at. And I would pray that you would consider confessing and trusting in Christ and coming to know the love of God and becoming an heir of God in Christ. And if you're like many that, that are in that camp, that have trusted Christ, placing your faith and trust and resting in Jesus, then I would pray as we walk through these different camps that two components would be impressed upon your mind. Number one, a reminder of what previous camp God might have saved you from. And secondly, people that God has divinely placed in your life that are in each and every one of those camps, that as we walk through each, would you take time this morning to write their name down, to pray for them? And that's going to be a part of our next step this morning. But before we talk about our next steps, let's dive into camp number one that we actually see back in John chapter 7, verse 12. We see in the first camp that some say Jesus is a good man. Some say Jesus is a good man, and therefore, what's he worthy of? He's worthy. Oh, yeah. He's worthy of applause. Some say Jesus is a good man, worthy of applause. Back in verse 12, as the crowds began to gather, if you remember the, the word that was buzzing around, there was a, a, a number of people, it tells us in verse 12, the, the chatter begins to going around, and they say, Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a good man. That's a, that's a good thing, right? We would look at that response and we say, hey, that's, that's not bad. Matter of fact, if you heard that there was buzz around Nacogdoches County, that you were a good man or a good woman or a good boy or a good girl, you'd be pretty ecstatic. I know my dog is excited when he hears that he's a good boy. But Jesus didn't come for applause. He didn't come for our approval. He must be more than just a good man. It actually flips the response upside down. See, Jesus came as the Christ sent from the Father, the one from above. Jesus is worthy of worship and trust, not simply our applause. Now, how do we see this unfold in this chapter and in this text? It's a relatively safe position 
the individuals, as we look back up in the text in John chapter 7, they say that he's a good man. There's positive buzz that begins to happen. But in John chapter 7, verse 13, if you remember, they were afraid to even speak up publicly about this position, for they were fearful of what the Jewish leaders would do to them, i.e., likely, possibly disfellowship them, kick them out of the temple. They feared man, not God, but they held a position that was socially acceptable. They held a position that was PR-approved, government-sanctioned to some extent. I'm just imagine if you were the cousin of the man who was lame for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. Even if you never saw Jesus or interacted with Jesus, one of your family members was healed by Jesus, and if there was buzz going around that Jesus ought to be even killed, you'd be confused. You would look and say, Jesus is a good man. He did a good thing for my cousin, and he's done a good thing for a lot of people. Matter of fact, I think, I think Jesus ought to be applauded for what he's been doing. Does that sound familiar to something you might hear today? a friend or a family member or a co-worker that, that certainly they're not in that radical position of, of denying themselves, confessing their sin, and believing upon Christ for life and walking under His Lordship and resting in Him and knowing His love. But they will certainly applaud what Jesus appears to be doing in your life. But they keep themselves at a safe distance from who Jesus claims to be. You see, what sounds good in reality is distance. It's kind of that statement you hear some people make in these days of, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I think Jesus was a good man, but I don't know that he was the God man. This gives us a, a, a safe feeling. It gives somebody a safe feeling to kind of turn their belief system into their own buffet. But in reality, at the end of the day, they're still their own king. This first camp, if this strikes well with you, if you've held this safe view that Jesus is a good man, I would pray that you would see the text. Leon Morris, one of the late scholars, he gave this statement on this position and on that text of those that held Jesus to be a good man. He said, they're ultimately aware of his character, but ignorant of his person. Camp one will never sustain you. As a matter of fact, camp one is certainly not what God has for your life. It's not what God desires for you. And, and in reality, if you're in camp one, you're being satisfied by something that will never satisfy you. We look to camp two as we look at our text that Jerry read for us, and we know that some say Jesus is a great prophet worthy of attention. Now, it, it's, it's, it's stepped up a little bit. It's gone from Jesus is a good man to not only is he a good man, but he is a great prophet. He's the one like Moses that Deuteronomy told us about. He's a great prophet. He's special. There's something about Jesus. He's worthy of our attention. Attention the intentional investment of time and energy. But this camp that seems to give Jesus a, certainly a higher level of respect, but still distances themselves from calling Him Christ. We see this position held by multiple individuals, actually. If you look at verse 40, 
When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. That's a great thing. They held the scriptures and they see Jesus. But even though they would say he's the prophet like Moses that we've heard about now on several different occasions referencing Deuteronomy 18.15, that's still not recognizing who he truly is as the Christ. Yes, he's prophet, but he's also king. He's the Christ, the eternal Son of God who's taken on flesh, sent from the Father. They won't recognize him as Christ, but they recognize him as somebody that's worthy of their attention. We also see the guards. You remember the guards there? The temple police are sent by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling council over the temple. I believe it says the Pharisees, they send out the temple priests and they go to apprehend him and they give this response in verse 46. When they come back empty-handed without Jesus in chains, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They came with a purpose to arrest Jesus and pardon the pun, but they were arrested by Jesus. They were captivated by Jesus. Jesus didn't simply come to gain our attention. He didn't simply come for our approval. He came as the Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The Lamb who was slain yet stands, the Lion of Judah. He's the Christ worthy of worship, we see a third figure that seems to fit into this category, one that's of this camp. And that's Nicodemus. Now, one of the privileges of living in Nacogdoches is the blessing that SFA is to our community and to our congregation, having so many that are connected to the university or studied here at some point, or if you've gone into a career that's involved research and study and time, and most all of us do in some way, but as a researcher and one who's done research, we know what? We know that there is an attraction to spending energy and discovering more and more information. But with it is a position of objective skepticism that wants to be very slow to draw conclusions. And so we're in research mode. Nicodemus, of all of these characters here, has done maximum research. He did a field study back in John chapter 3 with Jesus. And his interaction in which Jesus told him, one must be born again, born from above. And so Nicodemus responds to the Pharisees' response to have Jesus arrested. And inevitably, we know, desiring to have him killed. Nicodemus responds, because he's, Jesus has already gained his attention, Nicodemus responds to them by, by ultimately quoting Scripture. He says... Quoting Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 17, or I think most think alluding to this idea of Moses, who's putting out judges for Israel. I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 17. I think Nicodemus has this in mind as he's asking for a fair trial. He's asking for righteous judgment by the Jewish leaders, but because he knows they're not giving it. He says this in Deuteronomy 1, 16 through 17, after the, the temple police come back empty-handed. 
the scripture says of, of Moses, he says, Moses says, And I charge your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and, and I will hear it. That's ultimately what Moses is asking his judges to do. That's what God is instructing Moses to do. That's what Nicodemus is saying. We as ruling Jewish leaders ought to be giving Jesus a fair trial. He's not guilty before anything happens. One of the many blessings of Scripture and the ways that it's shaped even our own country that we ought to be thankful for. Now those more skeptical and aggressive towards Jesus, we'll rebuke him. We'll look at that in just a little bit. But note that Nicodemus is captured by Jesus in regarding his attention. But Jesus came for something more than just his attention. This is the good news for us. I want to ask you a question. Of course, Jesus is worthy of your attention, but do you believe Jesus is worthy of your worship and your life? As you think through these two so far, is this you? Have you studied Jesus for some time? Maybe you've even sat in the pews of, of, of churches for many years and you've heard sermons about Jesus and you've wondered and you've maybe even prayed a little bit and you've observed and you're continuing gathering data and information and thinking, well, maybe, maybe but you've never professed Him as Lord. You've never confessed your sin. You've never entrusted yourself to His care. You've been gathering research. To you, I ask you, listen, with honesty and humility in my voice and sincerity as a friend. When do you think you'll have enough evidence to worship Jesus? The camp that you're in, though, certainly is more serious than camp one in regards to who do you say Jesus is. The truth is that staying in camp two is like someone starving to death while devoting themselves to researching a buffet, a feast, and starving right there at the table. So I would, I would call you, I'd encourage you to move with us to Camp 3. And a matter of fact, if that's you and you're saying, no, I want to take the next step. I need to trust Jesus. I want to know Jesus. There is going to be a number that pops up right here. Or maybe right here. Or maybe right here. I don't even know where that number Maybe it's down here. I don't know where the number is going to be placed. But that's, that's a number to our church office. You can text that number. You can call that number. You can text that number. We want to help you take a next step on this day. Join us in Camp 3, which is those that conclude that Jesus is the promised Christ worthy of worship. Jesus is the promised Christ worthy of worship. Four little words. Look at the confession that we see in verse 41 in the very beginning. It says, Others said, This is the Christ. Would you say that with me from home? This is the Christ. Four beautiful words. 
a confession that we make together as a church family. This is the Christ. It's a declaration. It's a recognition of what is true, and it's a recognition of who He is over our lives, the Anointed One of God. This is good news. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of our life. He is beautiful. Beautiful news declaring the, the rule and the kingship of Jesus over all of our life and all of eternity. He is the one who has defeated death and He will one day in time, time that's coming closer, cast death into the eternal lake of fire. And Hades will give up its dead and they will join them and so will Satan and the beasts. And this is good news for us. Jesus is worthy of worship. This sounds very much like the same group of people from back in verse 31 that, that gave this statement. They looked, if you remember, and they reasoned, and they said, who in the world can do more signs than him, than Jesus? It says they believed on him. And it sounds similar to what Peter responded back in John chapter 6 as the crowds are leaving at Jesus' statement to come and to, to eat of Him, right? To eat and drink of Jesus, we discussed, is to come and believe in Jesus. The crowds hear this, they're offended, they leave. And Jesus turns to His disciples and says, what about you? Are you going to stay? And Peter gives that beautiful declaration to Jesus. Jesus, to, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's good news. What is Jesus worthy of? Not approval. And not even a greater sense of attention merely. But Jesus is worthy of our worship. And you and I have been designed by God to worship Him. The one we were created through and by, we worship the fullness of the Lord, the fullness of the Godhead. And we come to God with confidence through Jesus, the one sent by the Father, the eternal Son in the flesh. The Father and the Son who have sent the Spirit, the Spirit who convicts us and brings us to life and testifies of Christ. And as believers, He dwells us and He comforts us and He convicts us and He leads us and He guides us and He, and he brings these words to life in us, applying them to us in our hearts and, and shaping us and sanctifying us, making us more and more and more Christ-like in our lives. This is the good news. He's worthy of our lives. And to that, all the congregation of Grace Bible says, Amen. That's the truth. That's the good news. The more we find about Jesus and the more that the crowds and the Jewish leaders find about Jesus, the more they realize that Jesus is not a fence that can be sat upon. He cannot be straddled. You cannot ride the fence of who Jesus is. The first camp will never ultimately satisfy you to say He's a good man. The second camp will lead you in a state of perpetual waiting, of thirst, dying of hunger. Only it is this third camp that brings life eternal. The thirst quencher. The eternal bread from heaven. That's the good news. It is He that's worthy of worship.
Join us in this camp. Now, ideally, I would close this sermon right now, but you are not that lucky. Because the text, though, does not close there. There's a fourth camp that we see and have seen through the Gospel of John. And spoiler alert, of course, in the months ahead, as you know, this fourth camp is going to continue to butt heads with Jesus. This fourth camp sees who Jesus is and they believe or who He claims to be, and they believe that He is a deceiver. And as a deceiver, coming to that conclusion, they believe that He is worthy of condemnation. We see that in a number of verses. I'll read them for us in a moment. But when we realize who Jesus is, neutrality is not a possibility. Now this camp is wrong. But what they're right about is that when we understand who the person of Jesus is actually claiming, they're right in knowing that it is worthy of a response greater than applause and even greater than simple attention. It necessitates a response of repentance and faith in Jesus and worship of Him. Or denouncing Him as a deceiver and condemning Him of being a false hope giver, a false Christ. That's what we see in the Jewish leaders in their response. Right away, when the statement that He is the Christ is given, a counter-response is given. At the end of verse 41 and verse 42, right after that declaration, He's the Christ, right away there is a counter with darkness and of darkness. And they say against Jesus or the crowd or the Jewish leaders here, it's hard to tell, but this unbelieving group, certainly this fourth camp, says, is is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? the village where David was. So so there was a division among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Remember, his hour had not yet come. He's sovereign over time. But they see and they go after Jesus. They desire to go after Jesus, and in doing so, they must go after the arguments. Again, we don't know if those arguments originated from the crowd or if maybe they were planted by these Jewish leaders that had not yet come to know Christ and believe upon Him and worship Him. Regardless of where they originated from, they are held quickly and in opposition to who Jesus is. And it's held in such a way that they, even though they ironically use Scripture against the Word of God made flesh who dwelt among them and in their face, did you see what they did with the temple police, the temple officials? When the temple officials came back empty-handed, they said, where's Jesus? And they said, we've never seen anyone like this. We've never seen anyone say these things before. And how do they respond? They don't respond by quoting Scripture. The Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus arrested and ultimately killed, they respond to their subordinates by saying, we'll do the thinking. You do the doing. We told you to do this. You follow the chain of command. We told you to arrest Him. Stop thinking and start doing what we tell you. Matter of fact, you look at all of us up here, all of us, 
of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, do any of us believe that Jesus is who they're claiming He is or who He's claiming to be? Didn't think so. So stop thinking and start obeying. What a shocking position. Nicodemus courageously brings up the Scriptures as we mentioned earlier. And their response to him is immediate and belittling. They tell him, oh, this is great, Nicodemus. Are you from Galilee too? They attack him with this ad hominem argument, this against the man argument. They attack his character, if you will. And in attacking his character, they tell him, well, while you're at it, since you seem to want to go to the Scriptures, Nicodemus, why don't you also tell us what prophets were supposed to come from Galilee? We're waiting. Now, different scholars have looked and said, well, there actually is a couple that were mentioned, possibly from what would have been Galilee. The point is that their hearts are so hardened and self-deceived by their conclusion of this camp that any tactic necessary to suppress who Jesus actually is, it will do. It's kind of like when you're in the heat on an incredibly warm day. You don't care if you're getting shade from an umbrella or a tree or anything else, as long as you have shade. What Scripture shows us is those that are in this camp will run from the light with whatever is convenient. But God can bring people into the light. And so we say, come to know Jesus. And without prejudice, we call all people to come to know Jesus. Come to know Him, the giver of life, the love of God that we know in Jesus and by Jesus and from Jesus that we rested. Come to know Jesus. Know forgiveness of sins. Find forgiveness of sins in Christ. Abide in Him and stop running. Rest in Jesus. He is able. If you have questions, bring questions. But come into the light and have life. That's the good news that we have in this understanding of these four different camps. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our life. He is the Holy One sent from above. Church, this is good news. This is why we gather This is why we sing. This is why we offer Him our everything, as the song goes. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns us. And when we see who Jesus truly is, He bids us to come to Him with our past, with our present, with our shame, with our fears, with our hurts, with our anxieties, with our sin burden, with our dreams of the future, with our wealth, with our relationships, with our careers. And it's all His. And we cast our cares upon Him. And we follow Him. And we trust in Him. And we rest in Him. And we drink of Him. And we will be with Him forever. This is good news. And it leads us to two very honest but joyful next steps. Number one is to ask the Spirit 
to renew your mind in the Word this week. To ask Him to renew your mind in the Word. And in renewing your mind, would He guide you to present your body as a living sacrifice, pure and holy, acceptable to God as a spiritual act of worship this week. Ask God to, to lead you this week by the Spirit, renewing your mind by His Word. At Romans 12 text. Celebrate Camp 3. Live joyfully for Camp 3 by renewing your mind in the Lord this week by the Spirit. And secondly, we discussed this at the very beginning. There's four different camps. And would you consider thanking God from what camp that you came to before this if you've come to know Christ? And would you also, as you've been writing names down and thinking through people that have come to know Him or that have not yet come to know Him, that are in those three camps, would you commit every day this week, just this one week, you can do some more later, but just this one week, to pray for each person in each of those three camps and ask specifically for God to save them and to rescue them. And secondly, for God to give you and other believers boldness and joy and peace and speaking the good news of Jesus. This is the good news for why we celebrate. This is the good news for why next week those who are physically able will gather in person and those who are not yet able, it's not wise for you to gather yet, you will gather online at 11 o'clock and we will observe the beauty of the Lord's Supper together. His broken body and spilt blood for us of, of which we are partakers and recipients of. That's good news, church family. That's good news.